there's a lot of people, including myself, we wanted to turn that into a movie or a series. But again, as soon as I start meeting with the people that, you know, you need to partner with, it just, it just really puts me off, to be honest. And just really fell in love with docs that, you know, years later, people discover our films and they're like, man, this is just a fantastic movie or film. Docs have long legs. They don't make as much money and aren't as glamorous, but you see them affect an audience a lot more than the average dramatic film. I think, uh, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there because um, it seems like, I guess maybe you can say with my, uh, with age, I've maybe with documentaries have been a little bit more uh, prevalent in my uh, watching. For example, yeah. like I guess a couple, and there was kind of cultural phenomenon to agree, uh, like Making the Murder was a very huge that blew up. You know, the stuff, documentaries like that, and then um, the uh, Fire Festival documentary that was out, that was massive as well. So it seems like those yeah, are more are more of like, I think, with the streaming, has helped quite a bit with documentaries. So what do you think of the season? 100%. 100%. Streaming is what's made. Documentaries have never been more popular, right? And, um, and with streaming and analytics kind of hitting what your likes and tastes are has been a big thing, too, because – you know, Netflix and Amazon and all these things now are getting like really detailed feedback about what kind of things you're going to be into. And in a day and age when there's more content than ever before, like if you think back into the late 80s or early 90s, there was like 20 TV shows. Now there's hundreds. Like mm-hmm. I go to LA and I see a billboard. And I'm like season four. I'm like I've never even heard of that show. Right? Yeah, like there's quite shows upon shows. So it's good. There's more room for docs and streaming has definitely made that because. You know, a lot of people might not be willing to purchase a documentary, but, you know, it shows up in Netflix saying, hey, you like these titles. You'd most likely like this, too. And people are like, oh, that sounds really cool. Actually, I, I will tune into that. I think I would like that. I think you're 100% exactly right. I think it's um, people's viewing habits and with Netflix, any Hulu, any kind of documentaries kind of pop up. And I think that's uh, made documentaries very popular compared to spending money, going to a theater, and kind of if you hear about it, those are kind of rare maybe rare kind of animals maybe like 10, 15 years ago. But yeah. having the having the easy access at home nowadays has made documentary watching not only um, easy, but I think kind of like a talking point when you're with your friends now. So, um, so and, they, and, they, and, and they can affect you a little more because nowadays because there's so much content, like there's so many movies and so many TV shows that, you know, like anything, a lot of them are just watered down. So, like, I mean, I'm sure you have and your listeners have where – you'll tune in and you'll read the actors and who's involved. You're like, dude, this, like, how bad can this be? It's got this person, this person, this person. Mm-hmm. got to be good. And then you, 10 minutes in, you're like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, how yeah. did these actors get involved, right? Where in the 80s and 90s, you didn't have that. Like, if a big actor was involved in something, it was good, right? Now, a lot of times, it's a payday and it's shit. So yeah. documentary, if it's a genre that you're interested in, you're like, even if it's not the most high-quality genre, I'm interested you know, if it's hockey, like, I'm interested in a hockey story. I'm interested in a sports story. Or I'm interested in, you know, uh, making of a murder or crime story. So those things will resonate with you, and you don't need the big actor or director to lure you in. You just need a great story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I was looking at some of your documentaries. Like you said, early on, you had uh, a couple documentaries about the legalization of uh, cannabis and marijuana, which I thought was real interesting. And But it seems like... Uh, Lately, the trend, like I've seen kind of like you've had more sports documentaries, for example, uh, Full on Ice. And I think the one that kind of got on uh, a lot of our listeners' radar is definitely the Ice Guardians, since Kelly Chase was heavily involved in that. Yeah, Uh, Ice Guardians was one that really became a cult classic 
you know, in the in the in the sports world, especially the hockey world. I mean, if you if you were to Google top ten hockey documentaries ever made, Ice Guardians is always in that conversation. And I mean, obviously, you know, Kelly Chase was an executive producer, my partner on that, and you know, really, you know, even though the players really trust us, I went to school with some of them. There's there's a trust level that you can never have as much as the players. So when Kelly came on board and really opened the door, like he brought on you know, Wendell Clark and Joey Kosher and Brett Hall, all those guys were like, hey, Chaser, if you think this guy's telling the right story, then we're in. And, you know, all of them were so thankful that their story's finally told correctly, right? Because kind of the narrative the media was driving is concussion, fights in hockey, these guys are dummies, they don't belong. Yeah, you know, violence minutes, to yeah. Be, yeah, violence needs to be removed. And, hey, you know, if the sport evolves and they decide fighting's not needed and checking's not needed down the road, that that could very well be. But, you know, kind of the point of Ice Guardians is that fighting is a huge part of hockey's history. And whether it gets evolved out of the game or not, we need to remember that part of the sports history and the guys that did it. And that's really what Ice Guardians, I think, does a fantastic job of doing is showing how the game evolved over the years, the rule changes, who these guys were, and that these guys meant so much more to their teams, their organizations, and the league than often the media gave them credit for. Yes, I, like I said, a fantastic documentary. So I have on the line Adam Scorgi with he was a producer on not only Ice Guardians, but also the upcoming documentary uh, on Grant Fuhr making Coco. So a couple other uh, different documentaries I had written down here, which I thought were interesting, was uh, Chasing Evil, which was another yep. one that I thought was uh, interesting, which um, the story of like Evil Knievel, correct? All about Robbie Knievel, actually. His Robbie son, Chasing hence yeah. the Hence the title, right? Chasing evil. Yeah, yeah. So he was chasing his father's legacy, and no matter what Robbie could accomplish, you know, his dad was the first. His dad was the first, like really the first iconic American daredevil. And even though Robbie and you talk to everyone around him and everybody in the riding world, and they'll tell you Robbie was ten times the rider evil was, but he just was not the showman that evil was. Mm-hmm. Evil was uh, just a, you know, even the, the classic crash that Evil Knievel had at Caesar's Palace uh, where, uh, you know, there's that slow motion video of him tumbling and breaking all those bones. Evil put out the press release himself that he was in a coma and battling for his life. He was awake the next day, mm-hmm. right? But Evil knew that if he stole that, it didn't matter if he crashed, right, or landed the jump. It was the fact that he did it and he survived and he's fighting for his life. So just elements like that, like an Evil... You know, Chasing Evil really goes into the side of the Evil Knievel family, which, you know, they came from Butte, Montana, which was a crazy place at the time, and how they were raised, and Robbie and his brothers and his family had a pretty, pretty tough life with their dad being on the road and, you know, being an international star and a daredevil. So, yeah, that's uh, another one that went – it was on real TVs on Amazon Prime and stuff now. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely worth checking out. Before we get into talking about making Coco, I did want to bring up two of your upcoming documentaries that either are in production right now or getting close to release. And one, which sure. is, I think is very interesting because he's such a recognizable uh, movie star to me, uh, is Inmate Number One, The Rise of Danny Trejo. Um, yeah, that's coming up. Our premiere is coming up this month at the Calgary Film Festival, and then we're doing the U.S. premiere at Mill Valley Film Festival, which is like just 15 minutes from where Danny served time at San Quentin. So that's why we we're actually trying to organize for him to go speak to some young youth offenders um, that uh, went in for violent crimes before the age of 18, but they are up for parole after serving two life sentences. Um, Because Danny has always made that promise, which we explain in the film, 
is that Danny was up on gas chamber sentences himself because he um, allegedly incited a riot in Soledad mm-hmm. Prison in 1968. Uh, and uh, he got off on those charges, but he'd made um, a promise to God that if God got him off, that he would always give back to his fellow man. So he does. So he constantly he got sober. He's been sober for almost 50 years. And he constantly speaks at, you know, troubled youth seminars, people in um, recovery. He's constantly doing that to honor that promise that he made almost 50 years ago to always give back. So his story, if you were to script it, you would be like, there's no way some guy can be on the brink of facing execution to then becoming one of the most, you know, successful Mexican-American actors in Hollywood history. Like, get out of here. That's so ridiculous. But he did it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm very a, excited. Yeah. I'm very on. excited to release that. Um, really, really excited. Danny's coming in, and we're going to do that, Yeah, like I said, in um, in the Bay Area there. So I'm really excited for that to get out to people. Because I think a lot of people, you know, Danny's done a ton of interviews and talked about his history, but I don't think anybody describes it in the way that director Brett Harvey does, who also directed Ice Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he just he just weaves the story together so well that you really come out of that film inspired and moved and, you know, really understand that anyone can be given a second chance and you can turn your life around despite being in the most horrible circumstances. Like, you know, Danny Trejo was facing possible execution in Soledad prison and then he was able to turn his life around. Yeah, and and, and also recently I remember, I remember here reading slash uh, hearing that uh, he saved the baby from a burning car. Like, yeah, and if you watch, adds, if, it kind of adds to almost the aura of him. Like, if you like, watch the all video, stories, it's crazy. Yeah, if you watch the video of him, it's so crazy because accidents happen, and he is instantly running towards it. Like most people, it takes you know at least four or five more minutes to kind of figure out what the hell is going on, right? Like, oh my god, there's an accident. Like he, like it's like it instantly the smash happens, and he's running towards the accident. Like I don't even think the rims had stopped spinning on the thing. Like he was over there and then just happened to be that the child that he helped pull out of there too was special needs child and his ex-wife you know used to work with special needs children so he knew exactly how to calm the kid down and take his mind off the incident it's, yeah. and I, like you, you couldn't script his life the way it's worked out it's, it's pretty crazy to be honest yeah it's, it's pretty uh pretty uh, crazy story i was looking forward to that one the other one which i think also our fans will definitely be interested in because he was a, a former St. Louis Blue nemesis of uh, your upcoming documentary on Bob Probert. I yeah, that, well, that one's re- that one's released right now. Is and, that out uh, now? That okay. One, yeah, that's out now on platforms. You can go to iTunes and Amazon. Most it's available on most platforms. It's on Super Channel as well here in Canada. That is now be St. Louis. Yeah, iTunes and Amazon. It's available on there. As director Jordy Day uh, from Calgary had reached out to me and. You really didn't understand how, to, like most people, they're like, Adam, how do we get access to NHL footage? And, like, we're dealing with a sensitive subject of, like, Probert and his fights and his drug use. And I was like, okay, I, I can show you how to navigate all that and make it successful. And then, obviously, with, you know, the success of Ice Guardians and dealing with tough guys, it seemed like a perfect fit. So I was very lucky to be able to come on there and work with uh, Jordy Day on that and help out. Because um, it's really, like, a... The, the basic film goes off of recordings from Bob that he had made uh, when he was making the book, which Jordy Day, uh, Day's mother, Christy Day, had written. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a dark story, uh, you know, a, a hero to many in the hockey community, including myself. You know, we kind of mentioned that in Ice Guardians when we asked the, the other mm-hmm. tough guys themselves, who do they consider the toughest of all time? And, 
you know, most of the majority of them would come. There's lots of names in there. Twister, you know, a St. Louis guy for sure. Uh, Dave Brown, um, Samanko, but most like most people kind of circle back to Probert as being. If you had to pick one, you pick him as the antithesis of the enforcer. Yeah, he's a. And I also think one of the most quote unquote recognizable tough guys from the uh, late '80s, early '90s, kind of when Detroit was a very good team and uh, getting ready to win those cups and you know having the. Uh, division rivalry with the St. Louis Blues, we definitely ran into him quite a bit. So, yeah, I, yeah that's yeah. definitely a documentary that uh, I know St. Louis Blues fans should definitely check out, like you said, on Amazon and iTunes. So, yeah, the main reason to have you on was to talk about the upcoming documentary, Making Coco the Grant Fewer Story. So, as we've, yes. talked, about, we've talked about so far, we talked about that you've uh, had a couple of uh, hockey documentaries in your back pocket already. And one of the questions, you kind of answered it a little bit already that I had going. Um, how is it working with um, not even Grant, maybe Grant fewer, but also with different hockey players and kind of getting them to talk about how they felt about someone like Grant fewer or who's kind of like a revered uh, goalie who won multiple Stanley Cups and kind of a guy in St. Louis where we thought that he was the piece that just got torn away from us during our cup run when Nick Kiprios landed on his knee. We thought that was like our year before we won the cup this year, that we thought that was the year we had multiple Hall of Famers, including himself, on the team. And we after he uh, went down, even though John Casey was very valiant in that uh, Detroit series, we lost. So how did yeah, you, you work with Grant? Working with Grant is spectacular. We've become great friends during this process. He is truly one of the nicest men you could meet. He's just so honest and open and something that was so good and, and made made really made the documentary so great is that Grant has been open about like everything that happened to him, including the suspension and everything else in his book. So as he says in interviews, he's like, look, I already lived this before. So to live through it again through the documentary was not that tough because I already know the ending now and I'm really good at where I am in my life right now. Right. So it, it's been so awesome working with Grant and truly one of the easiest projects to work on as far as like when we ask people to interview for Grant, like the lineups never stop. They're like for Fierzy, for Coco, for Grant. Like no, like everybody wanted to do it. We're like, okay, 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 okay. We can't get like, we we could do a whole series if we had every interview. Like everyone in the league wanted to interview for it, which just made our job as a filmmaker so great. Like you know, Wayne Gretzky volunteered his time and Messier. Like if you you look at it, it's like a Hall of Fame roster that interviewed for this film and and Halsey mm-hmm. and you know when we came to St. Louis, you know Chaser and I being good friends and always wanting to help. And when we brought Jersey back, like the doors were just wide open. I, I have a tremendous love for the blues. I was rooting for them this year to win the cup because of the, the, just the, the respect and the, the, um, the value they've shown for my films, like with ice guardians, huge sellout and turnout. You know, when we went with making Coco and Grant, like the doors, to the arena were wide open, anything we needed St. Louis and their fans have, have been spectacular. And the organization too has been spectacular to me and my team. So it has been so awesome working on this project. And as like a diehard Oilers fan growing up as a kid, getting to work with one of your idols, I had a Mm. kind of a geek out moment when we were first on the phone with Grant on speakerphone. And I was like, Hey Grant, like nice to meet you. Looking forward to working with you. And he's like, Adam, I just got to say like, I really loved ice guardians. And you know, that is a big reason why I want you to tell my story because I saw how well you did with that. And, I'm really excited that you're the guy going to produce my film. I literally had to like put it, the speakerphone on mute to be like, 
dude, he's geeking out that I'm helping. Like, I'm geeking out that I'm doing his story, right? So Yeah, that was going to be the next you, question. That was the next question. <laughs> if you had a favorite team or favorite player growing up, that was until you say the Oilers, so that's right in your wheelhouse, having Grant Fewer. Right right in my wheelhouse. My favorite player, though, because I was, I was always partial to the tough guys, was Semenko. Uh-huh. It was like actually Semenko, Gino Ocek, that really made me become a hockey fan. Because I moved overseas when I was younger, and I totally stopped watching hockey and, and had no interest in it, didn't play it, didn't watch it, didn't think about it. And then when I came back to Canada and I started watching again, and I'd look at all, it was like Semenko and, and Gino, and I'd saw, see what they would do to protect their teammates. And I, I found that very valiant and very, there's something in there that I connected with. And then, you know, when I went to school with Scott Parker and Fedoric and actually talk to them in the hallways and experience what they went through. And when they talk about like, oh shit, you know, Rocky Thompson's getting, we're playing him next week and it's going to be tough. And, you know, I, I had a whole new respect for the game and I thought just, it was just a fascinating element to how hockey had this unique, you know, way to police itself for so many years that was organically driven as we kind of discover in ice gardens with the, with the human behavior specialist, that it really comes from human behavior that that kind of, you know, organically grew into the game. Yeah, and uh, it's, uh, you know, such, like, just looking at the thing, Grant Fewer, and just like you said, like, getting to work with your idol is just some kind of, like, not idol, but, like, somebody who, like, you were right there, like, watching and cheering for being young, and then you had the opportunity to, like, meet all the people that you watch on TV. It's just, like you said, a surreal experience. So before there's we get a lot, couple, there's, I, rem- I reminded I reminded our team many times as we were out on the golf course in Palm Springs with Grant, McSorley, Craig McTavish, and Kevin Lowe. We're joking because it was 17 cups for nine between nine holes, right? Where yeah, and and I was I kept reminding the team like guys, this is what we get to do for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Like pinch yourself again and realize like you know there's many years of working four jobs and eating dirt and being told to get a real job and you know stop making movies. That's a hobby thing, you know, to be able to finally do this. So it was um, you know the whole team and I enjoyed and you know we even had a beer or two on the on the fairway. I don't do that a lot until the production day is over, but we certainly did it that day and enjoyed nice. just this great process of working with these, these great guys and these, you know, these um, athletes that we really looked up to when we were younger. Yeah. And before we get a couple more questions for you, but first I'll let our fans know that the St. Louis premiere is coming up very quickly, uh, October 1st yes. at ballpark village. Um, get your tickets now. Look on ballpark village is uh, they've been all over their, their website is ballparkvillage.com. You can find a link there. There's going to be a Q&A with Grant Fewer and Kelly Chase with the Deans listed right now. But as we talked about before, a little before, there'll probably be some names added, hopefully. Yeah, there's going to be some other alumni around. They've already been like, what? Here's a word. So, like, they, like, the, the, the amount of respect that Grant has is, you know, unlike just about any other athlete I've worked with. Like, they love the man. Like, and, and, and when you get to know Grant, you, you see, like, how can you not? He's so easy to work with. He was so humble. Like, when you – you know, some people are disappointed when they meet their heroes. Like those that were on the fence about being a fan of Grant's here, you are 100% a fan of him after you watch his doc. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And Darren Pang will be the moderator for that. So Darren Pang always does a great job with that. And oh, Pang is the best. Yeah, if, you can, if any of our fans cannot make the October 1st one, don't fret. Um, there is going to be released that weekend, October 4th, at 12 local market theaters. So anywhere in St. Louis, you will – and there's market theater – in all parts, there's North County, South County, West County, you know, in the city, I believe there's one too. There's plenty of places to see this. So you can get tickets that weekend and see Making Coco on the big screen if you can't make uh, this event down at Ball, Ball, Ballpark Village. So, yeah, and uh, please, 
please, to your listeners, try to go out to that. It is extremely hard to get a documentary release in the theater and to get a hockey documentary release in the United States is even harder. Now, thank God, you know, St. Louis won the cup and they're super hockey hungry right now because I think that's what helped. Um, so please, you know, we're hoping to have good attendance out there and, and show people that, um, you know, the more we can show for future films and stuff too, that people do like to see these films in the theaters as well as on their TVs is really helpful. So uh, appreciate if you guys can get up. If you can't make the ballpark village one, please do go to the market theaters and try to tune in there. Yeah, and there's information also on the Twitter at Making Coco as well. So a couple Correct. more questions before I uh, uh, let you go. Uh, sure. Do you have, do you have like, making uh, – well, let's make it specific to the Making Coco documentary. Do you have a favorite, uh, maybe a Grant Fuhrer story or a story from one of the uh, hockey players you interviewed that you maybe didn't know about before? I don't have I don't have, I don't have that. Not to make spoilers. Maybe just dance around a little bit. Maybe. No, like, no. Something. I have I have I have a good story though. I have one. This this is a good one to just always talk about. Always being prepared. So when we're doing Wayne Gretzky's interview, right? Very mm-hmm. tough. Like he's he's out of almost all athletes I've ever worked with. He, like it just he's busy all the time, and everybody wants something from him. And they're, you know, he's getting pulled in every direction. But he wanted to do this for Fierzy, so he's like, okay, I will give you guys twenty minutes. On this date, when I'm in Edmonton, be ready. So we go extra early because we wanted him to just be able to walk in, have fun, do the interview, ask some fun questions, and go about his next 24 items he had to do that day. And he shows up an hour early. And he's like, guys, you ready to go? (laughs) And thank God, like now typically when we do a setup, like our lighting takes two hours to set up, right? We are fine-tuning every shadow, every look to create that cinematic depth of feel and everything that we want talk about always wanting to be prepared we were ready to go like thankfully because he showed him he's like oh we're ready we're like yeah our director wasn't there though uh don Nets wasn't in yet he's like well shit we're like don he's here he wants to go right now and don's like well shit i'm on the other side of town i'm gonna be able to get there for 40 minutes so i had to jump in and interview the great one horrible experience and i've made sure the team i'm like hey guys make sure you get a picture of me interviewing him so you see me yeah. on the shot um <laughs> But that was kind of the funniest story. It's just like, you know, make sure you're always punctual because, like, we didn't have another option. Like, I, I wouldn't have wanted to have to say, Wayne, well, actually, we won't be ready for an hour. Can you come? Like, I don't think that would have worked because he had, like, ten other things he had to do for the Oilers that day, and it would have been over, right? So uh, funny that he just showed up and was like, oh, you guys ready? We're, I'm ready. And I'm like, really? shit, you're supposed to come at ten. It's nine o'clock. So, yeah. And then, and then probably the – amount of footage we used to the ratio of how long the interview was is the highest ever with him. Like normally we do about an hour, two hour interview and maybe someone has three or four minutes to make the film. Like, like I said, we did 20 minutes with Wayne and I think five minutes of it make the film. Like he's just so good at speaking and telling stories, especially about the days of playing with Grant that it was like the, the amount of shot to usage is probably the highest we ever did. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's always a good thing to be prepared ahead of time, especially when someone like of that caliber that's coming in to do uh, an interview. So that's a, that's a very good story. So I guess the last question is a little bit more of a uh, generic question. So you being a filmmaker and stuff, um, I do want to ask, I did see on your IMDb page, IMDb page you do have an acting credit. <laughs> so, I, have, I have a feeling I know which one you're going to ask, though. So – and which one do you think I'm going to ask about? Uh, the Britney Spears video. So I saw that one, and that caught my eye. Both caught my eye, I'll be honest. 
But uh, since we brought that one up, I want to ask about that. So how was, like, can you tell me about that experience? Because I thought that was very interesting. Our uh, co-host, Chris, um, is a very big Britney Spears fan. And usually if you see Chris out, he's not wearing a blues jersey. When he's uh, at a concert, he's wearing a Britney Spears shirt. So I thought that. So I so I kind of want to. So I saw that and that caught my eye. So I want to ask you about that. So can you tell me like, how did that come along? Well, when I started my film career, I started in New York. I went to film school and acting school, and I started in front of the camera. But uh, obviously, wasn't that great at it. I was much better at the producing side, so I fell behind the camera. But uh, it happened where that's when I was auditioning and I was going out, and they. I'd actually just come back from Canada because my father had uh, unfortunately passed away, and it was like my first audition or casting I'd been on in a while. And they asked me to dance in front of the camera, and I like awkwardly did it with no music. And and supposedly, I don't know that these were the last few extras picked, and and uh, Brittany had gone through the videos themselves and picked me. And lucky enough, I got to be on set with her all day. I'm about as important as a cardboard box in the video. I'd have to slow it down and freeze it and you might kind of sort of be able to recognize me but not really but gotcha. yeah we worked we worked on her all on all set it sucks because some of the great shots where you see her it's in the zone with madonna madonna wasn't there she shot her stuff previously mm-hmm. like like some of the close-up shots i'm right next to her when that's happening but the angles aren't facing so i'm i'm basically a cardboard box in the opening and closing oh that's awesome so yeah i saw that and i was just i had to bring that up since like I said, our goes Chris. That was that uh, the one that caught your eye, or another one that got your eye? Because that's the, the one I still get asked the, about all the time. Real, honestly, the both did. So what was the other one? The other one, oh my gosh, I had it written down in there. I had the Britney. I put the Britney Spears one out because that's the one I want to ask since Chris is a big fan oh, of Britney okay. Spears. Yeah. So I can remember. I, I can see the cover in my head right now, looking at it, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So which no, one did, do you think I'm? It's all good, though. We won't get into that. No, no, anyway. Brittany's the one I always still get asked about to this day. I'm like, guys, I'm like, it's so funny that that still gets pulled up because, like, I was a, a considered what they call a featured extra just because you get paid a little more. But I'm not featured in any more that I brought any more talent or anything of value to the show. I was lucky to get paid. I got paid 500 bucks for the day. Yeah. Uh, this is cool and a great experience, but it was – I'm uh, – and yeah, you got a good story out of it later on. So yeah, I, I got a great story and, and great learning experience, but I – I am in no means a valuable person. I was lucky to get paid for that. When I think back in the day that you'd get paid that kind of money to kind of hang out on set all day was pretty cool. That's awesome. So Adam Scorgi, producer on the upcoming Making Coco, the story of Grant Stewart doc. Like I said, the St. Louis premiere is coming up October 1st at Ballpark Village. Uh, check out their website, ballparkvillage.com. Also, their Twitter is at Ballpark Village. Check out the Making Coco uh, Twitter, at Making Coco. There's links uh, at the top of the page for that. There's a, and look on our Twitter at Blues, at Blues Hockey NHL on Twitter. There at the very top of pins at the top is all the information for the Ballpark Village event where you can get tickets. The Q&A that's going to have fewer, Chase, and upcoming more alumni. Darren Pang is going to be moderating. And also, if you can't make that, definitely get out October 4th weekend at 12 different markets theaters all over St. Louis. Uh, those tickets, I believe, are not up. I think they're not up yet, I believe, or are they up yet? I'd have to double-check that because this all just kind of went up recently, so they might not be up yet. Hopefully they are. Um, but, yeah, check the Marcus Theater websites and see. That would be your best bet right now. Yeah, so, okay, so check out uh, the, all those, I guess, the 12 different Marcus Theaters. So you can find us anywhere in St. Louis that weekend. Um, and then uh, Adam's uh, Twitter, and what's your Twitter again? It's Adam Score 
like uh, I don't spell my name, but I go score like a goal with a G. Adam score G. Uh, for at Adam score G. And you can, I'm on Instagram as just score G. And yeah, I'm, as you saw when you reached out, I'm pretty reachable by social media. So mm-hmm. uh, hit me up anytime if you guys got questions or dates or, or, or even when I'm in St. Louis to come have a beer. I will be yeah. there. Oh, I will be there too. Not that I'm for, but I will be there. Enjoying, be there. Uh, yeah. Great. I, yeah, I will I be there at the uh, Bar Park Village too. Uh, and most of our team is coming too. We're not going to miss that opportunity, so we all plan on being there as well. Yeah, I believe uh, my co-host and myself, Chris, will be there, so we're going to get awesome. our tickets soon, and so we're going to go check that out because it sounds like a pretty awesome, memorable night. Um, I unfortunately uh, missed the Ice Guardians one that was at the pageant when Kelly Chase and Brett Hall and a bunch of were they had the premiere there, and I heard that was oh. a very great experience. So I missed what that one. I, I, I kicked myself. Unfortunately, I was uh, out of town that that week, and I just wasn't there for it so you know i'm great, so glad that I, I i made that event because dave Semenko died one year later and yeah. i i got to i got to share the stage with him and you know we actually ended up being on the same flight home and we talked on the way home and hung out in the restaurants and what an amazing man and that i'm i'm just so thankful i got to work with him and go to that event with him and share those stories and have that experience because literally yeah it was like I think even less than a year than it was announced that he passed away from pancreatic cancer. So really made me realize that sometimes, you know, I, you know, for cost reasons or whatever else, it's tough to make these events, but I, I try to attend as many of those as I can without missing my kids sports because that's important too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Adam, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, talk to us with me today and uh, definitely look forward to the event. That I'm on my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I hear you shout. Let's go.